Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. talk to you about lessons from an 11th grade graduate. This past February, your pastor was kind enough to leave his church here on Sunday to come speak to our church just the the week after I had lost my 92-year-old father. And at the same time, within just a couple of days, our executive pastor's uh, 27-year-old son was, was killed in an accident, and he was there for us. And I appreciate that. Um... And they say the first are the hardest after something like this. My dad's birthday was just October the 19th. And on that day, I sat down and did some reflecting. I, I wrote down some wonderful things regarding my father. And I don't want this to be like a eulogy today. Uh, my precedent for using the life of a great man to hopefully encourage and inspire you was established many times over in Scripture. In fact, people are used to illustrate the good and bad of how to live life. Jesus himself exhorted his listeners to remember Lot's wife. Don't be like her. She turned to take one last look, and she's remembered for that act forever. Paul pointed out in 1 Corinthians 10 that his forefathers became our examples, and all that happened to them as examples was written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages has come. So in my spirit of nostalgia and examining the attributes of a great man, let me share with you some of the lessons that I learned from an 11th grade graduate. That was high school, only went to 11th grade when my father graduated. And hopefully in my sharing with you and today and remembering, I will inspire you in your walk with God. First, for those, uh, first of all, for those of you who didn't know him, this is my father here, Bill Dean. Um, a product of East Texas, World War II decorated veteran, earned uh, three Purple Hearts, uh, Silver Star, Silver Star, Presidential Citation for Bravery and Courage. Uh, He didn't grow up a Christian, didn't know God until the two of them met in the Battle of the Bulge outside a village called Mount St. Jacques. Uh, He made a promise to God in a a hole that had been carved into the blood-stained snow that if God would spare his life in return, he would give God his. He was one of the few that survived that bloody day of battle or two or three days of battle that later that battalion became known as the Lost Battalion. So many men were killed. He made it back home, and God was faithful to spare his life. He married the only woman that uh, he ever was in love with. He told me not long before he died, he said, I met your mother. She was 16, and I saw her standing in another room, and I said, I love that woman. That's the only woman he ever loved, 70 years of marriage. He got back home. The first wedding that my, my father went to was his own. It's a true story. And the justice of the peace married them after he had gotten off the army train on crutches in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. And he did the ceremony and he told my dad, congratulate the bride, Bill. And Bill shook my mother's hand. And he said, no, Bill, kiss her. So dad kissed her and then he started kissing every woman in the room. And the justice of the peace, when he got to his wife, said, no, Bill, just your wife. 
That was my dad. He bought a farm. He started carving out a place of his own. But the promise that he had made to God would not let him plow on a farm. He would pull over at the end of the row and he would cry. And he would say, God, there's got to be more to my life. He, they warned him about this little Pentecostal church out on the edge of town and how it was a dangerous place to go. And the people there were crazy. But it only piqued his interest. And he went out there, and the first time he was there, God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was an experience that he never got over. His brother-in-law told somebody that the war had affected him to such a point that he wasn't thinking straight anymore. Ironically, that brother-in-law, many years later, when he was dying of leukemia, called my dad to come to the hospital to pray for him. Isn't it funny how life takes some unusual turns? At 35, he left a good job, a new home, and the promise of financial success to answer the call of God. He had four boys and one on the way. And he went to a very small church that in no way could support him. And somewhere along his journey, he started teaching lessons to his boys and to the people around him that would be remembered forever. And I want to share some of those with you today. The first lesson I learned was this one right here. Choose joy. Everybody say, choose joy. Joy is something you choose It's a choice you make. Paul riding from a prison cell to the church in Philippi, surrounded by the stench of his own excrement from a hole in the ground, uses the word joy or rejoice 16 times as he's riding. Philippians 4.4 was a verse that my dad lived by. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Life with my dad was an adventure. His mantra for life seemed to be laugh loud and laugh often. I love to watch my dad tell a joke because so much of him had a good time. And he wouldn't even get the punchline right 50% of the time. It didn't matter if you got the joke. He was going to enjoy his own joke. My dad lived in a state of joy. I have learned from my father this. Joy is not contingent on what you have. Joy is a state of mind. Joy is having Jesus in your life. And if you have Jesus, you can have joy regardless of what you have or you don't have. If you have Jesus, you can have joy regardless of your circumstances. If you have Jesus, joy comes as a byproduct. If you were at our house, laughter was part of living. We laughed a lot. Dad made sure of that. There were five boys with 13 years between us in age, and I seldom saw my dad angry. When he did get angry, it was short-lived and quickly forgotten. We were sitting around the dinner table, which was an interesting thing because mom and dad tried to teach us five boys manners. Mom tried hard. God bless her. In fact, Jerry, one night, dad was taking him to his first Boy Scout dinner, and Dad casually mentioned, Jerry, remember to eat with manners tonight. To which Jerry very seriously responded, Dad, just point out who he is. I'll eat with anyone, but I don't know him. (laughs) So many stories I could tell you like that, like 
like the story of my dad in the grocery. He's in the grocery store and he sees one of our more pious and religious ladies in our church. Sister Gillick was what we called her. He saw her in the grocery store and he saw her pushing her cart and he waited till she stepped away to get something. And he slipped a box, a carton of cigarettes and some snuff into her, into her basket. And then he waited a little while and he casually walked up and was kind of looking down in her basket and watched her reaction when she looked down and saw what was there. Oh, Brother Dean, I don't know how that got in there. I promise you, Brother Dean, I'm not buying that stuff. This is the devil's in this store. never took himself too seriously. He laughed at himself. And anytime we pulled a joke on him, he would tell us after we made him the butt of one of our pranks, if you dish it out, you got to take it. Driving down the road on a family trip, it was an adventure for our family to go on a trip. We didn't go very often. And now that when I had kids, I realized why. But we had five kids in the car in that 61 Chevy. And forget seat belts, my friend. We just, Kids were everywhere. They were hanging out the side. There was that up behind the back window. Anybody remember? Somebody was always laying in that area. Somebody's laying in the floorboard. You built it up with pillows and their kids' feet sticking everywhere. And for some reason, Jerry, the third-born son, was, was up in the front seat with mom and dad. He said, Dad, I want to see your tonsils. My naive dad just opened up his mouth. Jerry had wadded up a ball of string that he'd gotten from somewhere and just chunked it down in the recesses of my dad's mouth. <clears throat> now we're driving down the road at 65. <laughs> People hitting him on the back. All of a sudden, the string comes flying out. And what does my dad do? I would have killed everybody in the car. My dad just starts laughing. You boys, you boys, you boys. <laughs> I want to share with you a lesson today that an 11th grade graduate taught me. You can have joy in any circumstance of your life. You can have joy when your unsaved spouse is hard to deal with because your wife or your husband doesn't dictate your joy quotient. Jesus is in charge of that. You can have joy when your boss is obnoxious and overbearing. He's not the source of your joy. You can have joy when finances are tough. You can have joy during the darkest moments of your life. Jesus is a joy giver. Number two, forgive quickly. Son, you can't hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. He used to tell me it'll make you, it'll defile you. That root will spring up and defile you. This lady in our church, I was 16 years old in a church business meeting, and it was just a normal business meeting, and somehow it came up. My dad should, should get a raise. It was just minuscule raise, and she stood up. And she started saying things like, this man really doesn't deserve a raise and started making her argument. There's an awkward silence in this business meeting. And then some guys jumped up and kind of quieted her. And they took a vote and, and gave my dad this very small raise. And I wondered, I watched my dad, I wondered, how is he going to respond to this woman? How, how is he going to take this? And you know what? I never heard him speak again after that. It, he loved that woman and her family. A couple of years later, she was killed in an accident. And I watched with how he would love and care and compassion minister to that family. There was never any sign that he ever had a bad thought about her. Because he learned how to forgive quickly. My dad had the absolute worst neighbor that ever lived. Mr. Baker was his name. 
He was terrible. He griped about everything. He took his own trash and put it over on my dad's curb in case the dogs got into it. He didn't want the trash in his yard. He wanted it in my dad's yard. And there were some limbs growing over his fence into my dad's yard where my dad had this little garden. And my dad called the city and said, what can I do about these limbs? And they said, well, you can cut them off. They're on your property. So he got out there with his chainsaw. And when he did, he started cutting those limbs. Mr. Baker came out of his house, and he was screaming and cussing. And they stood toe-to-toe for a minute. My dad turned the chainsaw off and went in the house. He was so angry. And then the Spirit of the Lord started convicting him. He went back out, and he rang Mr. Baker's doorbell. And he said, Mr. Baker, I have to tell you something. I'm a minister of the gospel. And as I sat in my house, the Lord convicted me about how I spoke to you, and I'm asking you to forgive me, and I'll never touch those limbs again. You can grow them out all the way to the side of my house. And he, and he said goodbye, and Mr. Baker kind of hung his head. And a couple of months later, he gets a call. It's Mr. Baker. He said, Mr. Dean, I've had somebody out to look at this tree. Something's wrong with it. It's got worms. And they've told me there's no way it can be fixed. Can you help me cut it down? My dad said, I'll get my chainsaw and be right over. He used to say, you know what, if you let the Lord take care of those kind of things, he does it a lot better than you. Let go of stuff. It's still in the Bible about that unforgiving servant. Unforgiveness only contaminates the container that holds it. The scripture, therefore, if you bring your altar to the altar and there, remember that you have something against your brother. Leave your gift and go and make it right with your brother and then come again and offer your gift. Number three, live passionately. This brave man was not afraid to try anything. Maybe it was the childhood, his early years, or maybe it was the fact that he was a paratrooper. His his childhood saw him come through the depression. His 16th year... He left and went to Colorado for the entire summer and worked in what they called a CC camp. Had he not been willing to do that, the family farm would have been lost. In fact, it was already in foreclosure proceedings. But he went to Colorado and left his family, and that farm was saved. It's still in the family today. This man made 19 combat jumps, stared death in the face more times than I can even talk about, shot three times on one occasion, was so close to death. They sent a priest in to administer the last rites, and he told my dad after he finished the prayer, Mr. Dean, you are now ready to meet God, to which my dad responded like H-E double hockey sticks I am except he didn't say hockey sticks he volunteered to be a paratrooper because you made $25 more a month didn't know know much about what that was going to require him to do. This man that was passionate about life and living, no degree, no seminary training, just an incredible desire to see people's lives transformed by the power of the gospel. Listen, it doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what side of the tracks you were born on, doesn't matter your economic setbacks. Do you have a desire to see God's purpose fulfilled in your life? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life, life in all of its fullness. I say let's live life with passion. Can't imagine anybody to get up in the morning and say, you know, I'm going to go out there and give it half effort today. Every day deserves you to live life passionately. 
And dad believed in a lived in life before the book was written. When he was 76 years old, I got a call from my mother. And she was all upset. It was about 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And she said, with tears in her voice, Dan, Dad left this morning for prayer around 6 o'clock. And he's not come home. She said, I, I, I've never known him to do this. You know, he may go to breakfast with somebody, but he's always on mid-morning. I don't know where he's at. And you could hear the fear in her voice. And Mark and I, my brother that lives in Dallas, we started making arrangements to catch a, an airplane up there. And you're trying to be positive for mom, but you're thinking all kind of crazy things. Somebody's kidnapped him. He's in a trunk somewhere. He's had an, an Alzheimer incident. And he, you know, you're just going to all kinds. He's had a stroke somewhere. And I'm about to go out to the airport, and I get a call from mom. And here is her. She said, I'll let him tell you. <laughs> and so he gets on the phone, this very sheepish voice. Hi, Dan. Well, it was the anniversary of my first parachute jump. And I decided I wanted to do it again. <laughs> and I knew mom wouldn't approve. So I thought I'd slip out there and do it on my own. Well, the wind got up, and we couldn't do it right away. And before I knew it, I looked down. It was 5 o'clock, but I did it. <laughs> 76 years old, jumping out of an airplane. It was a tandem jump, but about two months later, he talked mom into letting him do a solo jump. At 76 years old, my dad jumped out of a plane unassisted and got off track and landed on his face between air, two airplane hangers, and that cured that. Thank the Lord. But I want to tell you, he wanted to live life with zest and passion. Number four, worship always. My dad hated pastors who sat over on their keister. Excuse me. Sorry if I wasn't supposed to say that word. Until it was their time to shine, then they would get up and expect everybody to light up like a Christmas tree. That's a good way to never be invited back to my dad's church to speak. If you're going to speak when the music started, you better be up giving worship to God. Because my dad believed that worship was a 24-7 proposition. When the sun came up in the morning, he started worshiping. And when it went down at night, the last thing I remember was gathering in the living room with all those boys in their underwear. That's the way we prayed. And mom and dad were really the only ones praying. And the other five boys would have their little rear ends stuck up in the air, pinching each other and gouging each other. While mom and dad praised and gave thanks to the Lord. I want to tell you, it changed my life to see a dad who knew how to worship God with all his heart. And he was never too good or embarrassed or ashamed. Psalm 34 and 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Five, love large. He taught me a lot about love. 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they'll fail. Speaking in tongues, it's going to cease. Whether there's knowledge, it'll vanish. He loved, he loved, he loved God. He loved to pray. He loved to talk to the Lord. At 16 years old, I decided to, to do a paper route. I started delivering the Austin American Statesman up in Colleen, Texas. And I had to get up at 5.30 in the morning. And my dad, after about the second morning, looked at me and said, Son, if you can get up and go deliver papers, I can get up and pray. 
And so as I pedaled out on my bicycle, Dad would be making his little altar area in the utility room of the garage. And when I came home an hour, an hour, an hour and a half later, he would still be in there talking to the Lord. And let me tell you, many of those mornings when I came by that utility room door and I parked my, my bicycle in the garage, I would hear him and he would be praying for me. You want to change the life of your child. Let them sneak up sometime and catch you praying for them. And they won't ever get away from it. My dad loved his God. He loved his family. Can't say I ever witnessed anything like it. He would take us boys fishing. I wouldn't have lasted three minutes. I'd have been, it just would have been over. He never fished. He was retrieving lures out of trees and untangling lines and on more than one occasion trying to cut a hook out of somebody's ear or lip. He didn't dare take us out in a boat. My dad loved his family. He loved his country. You know what he would tell you if you were standing here today? Make sure you get out there and vote. I don't care how you vote, but make sure you vote because my buddies died for you to have the privilege to cast your vote. And if you're an American, don't say it's not an important election. You vote because you have the privilege and opportunity to vote. Every morning, put his flag up outside and then stood. And I have this beautiful picture of one morning my dad saluting the flag. He got a flagpole. He didn't just get a flagpole, my friend. He got a flagpole in his front yard. I'm talking one that went way up in the air. He loved people. He wanted to know about everybody. We would see him go into the mall with my mother. And I want to tell you, it was humorous because you'd see him get somebody cornered in the store or he'd be sitting on a bench outside and you'd know what was coming. Somebody would innocently come up and sit down beside him and you'd see him looking him over and you knew what was coming. Dangerous first line to answer from my father was, how you doing? If you answered that question, it was, it was I'm going to tell you, Barbara Walters had nothing on my dad. Because the next 20 minutes, he would grill them. And then he would come tell me after, if I was around anywhere, he'd say, I met this person over here. You know, they're from blah, blah. Can you believe that they're the granddaughter of so-and-so? I'm going to win them to Jesus. My dad moved into retirement home. And, and there was, he called me the day after he moved in. He said, you know, I met this, this guy that runs his home down here. And he told me he's a grandson of a Pentecostal preacher. I'm going to get him. About two weeks later, he called me and said, you know what? He was just down here, stretched out on my living room floor, praying with me. The man that run, ran the home spoke in tongues, laying on my dad's living room floor. He loved souls so much. Freona, Texas, that church was the deadest church I've ever been a part of in my life. Seriously, it was dry. It was as dry as the tumbleweeds that blew by out there, Rex. And, and, and he would preach about evangelism. One Sunday, I recall, as just a young boy, he preached about soul winning and didn't seem anybody else in the church was moved, but he preached himself under conviction. At the end of his message, he just walked out from behind the pulpit, walked down to the altar, knelt down and began to weep and cry with such travail that I actually thought as a young kid, I was so afraid, I thought he was dying of a heart attack. I was thinking, somebody go help him, he's dying. He was under such a burden for the lost. And he cried and he wept and when he got through he got back up and dismissed everybody they went home 
I think of that whole two years in Friona, Rex. I don't know that anybody came to Jesus the whole time we were there. And it troubled him so much. But God saw his burden and his prayers, sent him to Fort Hood, Texas. The last 11 years of his ministry, he started writing down the people that he baptized in that church. I looked at it just the other day. 800 names of men and women, GIs, people in the service. And God would transfer them to another part of the world. And almost everywhere I go nowadays, I find somebody that walks up and says, I was at Colleen, Texas, and your dad baptized me and led me to Jesus. What a great legacy. Number six, finish well. The exit is so much more important than the entrance. That's why the... The last few nights was so important to us because he showed us not just how to live. He showed us how to die. My dad told me one time, it's been a few years back, he said, I finally figured out how I want to go. I said, really? He said, yeah. I want to get really sick and be really sick for a long time and have the opportunity for people to tell me how much they love and appreciate me. They call me and send me cards and letters. And then I want to get better. (laughs) His last night on this earth. My dad was such a worshiper. We put on some Gaither music. He hadn't moved for two or three days in a coma. One of my last memories of my dad. We started playing that music and his little bony hands shot up in the air. This man had hadn't even had a drink of water for days. Shot up in the air and his little feet started tapping at the end of the bed. And Jerry walked up and said, Dad, are you dancing? And he shook his head up and down. Let me show you how to die. Let me show you how to finish strong. It's the wedding of my firstborn son. This was eight plus years ago on a hot August evening in Dallas. I didn't want my 84-year-old dad, the pastor, to think we were having dancing at the wedding. So my wife and I carefully placed them at the far end of the room where the wedding reception was taking place so we could be careful to block them and block their view of the dance floor because he's pretty fundamental about things like that. And... uh, I told my wife, you, you do what you need to do, and I'll take care of him. And when I can't be here, I'll have somebody else blocking their view, okay? And he just kept peering around me with curious eyes, and I'd just, just be talking, trying to block the view of what was going on, where the live band was playing, and the happy songs, and the fun times of celebration. The bride and groom's first dance took place, and the father danced with his daughter, and my wife danced with her son. And I looked up, and Dad was gone. He had slipped around my careful defenses. Oh, no. He's headed that direction. What's my dad, the fundamentalist, going to think and do? He's not going to like this. This is not going to be a good thing. Imagine my surprise when I looked out on the dance floor, and there was my father asking the new bride for a dance. And the new bride accepts the invitation. And shortly thereafter, here's this man. I was trying to my best to keep off the dance floor, twirling his new granddaughter-in-law. 
and making a memory that will last a lifetime. The day fundamentalists met fun on the dance floor of my son's wedding. And for those of you who knew my father-in-law, I'll, sh- I'll show you one final picture from that August celebration. My father and my father-in-law, two pastors getting down on the dance floor at the Omni in Dallas, August 20th, 2005. Probably a first for both of them. And who knows, maybe, just maybe, this past January 29th at about 10 o'clock, they had a little reunion dance somewhere, someplace, in another realm beyond our natural understanding. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.